three, two, one. Hit it. What? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends everything happens for Seriously, a reason. Seriously, you had one job. I, I can't with some of these people. Put down um, your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, uh, Would you rather? All right, trust me. Take no, my advice. Seriously, that legit happened. How's it going, guys? Welcome to Nervous Habits. Are you lazy? Do you procrastinate all the time? Well, maybe I have someone who can help you. Today, I'm joined by best-selling author and productivity consultant, Adrian Shepard. He's known as Asia's number one time management expert, taking his talents to the Americas to chat with me. We're going to be exploring issues, including how the approach to time management differs in the East versus the West, the one-bite time management system, and how to eliminate procrastination by eating that frog why you should do your work in 90-minute sessions, the five practices that successful people use, and why saying no is the key to managing your time efficiently. All that and so much more on another episode of... Nervous Habits. Hey everyone, it is hot as hell here in D.C. It's been the whole summer. It's been high 90s, hundreds. Um, I have to make sure that my AC is on here. Um, today, as I sit with you, my neck is a little bit stiff. I got my iced coffee, but uh, but yeah, what what a summer it's been um, so far. And law school is is underway, my fall semester. So I'm gonna try to you know keep the episodes fairly regularly, at least bi-weekly. Um, so I apologize if the weekly format has to be put on hold temporarily, but definitely gonna have episodes at least twice a month um, for the time being. And it's you know it's pretty apt that. This week, the focal point is going to be time management and procrastination. This is something that I've thought about for a really long time, and I'm someone that, you know, as you've known from listening to me on the pod, I'm type A, and, uh, you know, I, I'm a planner. I'm someone that, as I talk about with Adrian on the podcast, that likes to make a list every day and go through it one by one, scheduling every every minute, every, you know, half hour uh, to make sure I'm as productive as possible. And, you know, even then... I run into problems all the time with motivation and procrastinating things that seem ultra burdensome and particularly with law school, you know, saving readings until the last minute and outlining until the last minute. And so I was eager to, you know, explore the idea of procrastination and I was actually connected to Adrian through a mutual friend and um, I thought he'd be perfect to, to chat with with us uh, to chat with me about um, these issues. Adrian actually uh, started his career as an ESL teacher in Japan, but today focuses on consulting with individuals and with companies on how to be productive. His background in education helped him develop the One Byte Time Management System, TMS, which we'll be speaking about, a revolutionary new system based entirely around simplicity, small bites that people can digest easily. Adrian is based in Osaka, Japan. There is a bit of a time difference. Um, you'll hear uh, at, at a couple different points, um, he talks about how it's it's 1, 2 a.m. Um, during the interview. So I actually, I, I give him a lot of credit. He's, he's a trooper. And um, honestly, something that stuck out to me about our conversation is, is how well-read he is. I mean, literally every other response, he's name-dropping a best-selling author in self-help and productivity, one of his contacts in the industry. So it's it, it ended up being an, an enlightening conversation, and Adrian was a delight to speak to. So without further ado, my conversation with Adrian. Adrian Shepard, welcome to Nervous Habits. Thank you for having me, Ricky. It's my pleasure. Uh, how, how are you holding up during the pandemic? I know you're, you're in Osaka, Japan. It's Probably a little bit different than it is in America right now. 
<laughs> Very much so. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the restrictions have um, been basically taken away in this area. So, you know, the state of emergency has been lifted and people are getting back to uh, life and um, it's all good. I mean, everybody's just wearing a mask and, uh, you know, taking precautions. So can't complain, mm. I guess. Unfortunately, we can't say the same for life in America <laughs> here, Adrian. I'm sure you've been following the news and uh, for a number of reasons, I think it's going to be a long time before we can return to business as usual here. So a lot of time to work on the podcast. <laughs> um, so you are obviously you know, a, a best-selling author, productivity consultant, and I'm really excited for a conversation today about productivity and time management. I think a lot of people listening um, are sort of curious, you know, what, you know, what are the ways in which they can maximize the you know limited amount of time they're awake during the day, whether that be 14, 16 hours. And we'll get into all that later. But the first thing I want to ask you is what drew you to these ideas initially? I think it was really uh, my clients uh, back when I was an English teacher. I noticed that some students would get ahead and other students wouldn't. And when it, it all boiled down to one simple thing, it's how they use their time. Uh, people with... You know, lots of excuses and no time, uh, couldn't really get ahead. And the other people who they didn't, they weren't smarter or, or more talented than the other students, they just seemed to, over time, uh, consistently beat them. And I, I, I noticed this and I, I realized that, unfortunately, uh, very few people um, master English here in Japan. It, it was tough for them because there's not much opportunity to speak it. So I realized that, well, gee, if only everybody followed what these other people were doing, the other students were doing, and they just took the advice and followed what they were doing, you know, they'd, they'd get ahead too. Um, and it wasn't until um, a friend of mine ended up in the hospital uh, in his early 40s um, that I started to realize that, you know, we, we only have a certain amount of time left in our lives and uh, sometimes mm. it can come way way sooner than uh than we think it than, than we think we, we've got you know so i i started realizing that we needed to maximize our, our time uh just like my students did yeah i mean that's 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 very well said adrian and i think something something you just hit on a minute ago about how the most successful people are virtuosos at time management you always read books i know personally you know reading the memoirs of guys like jeff bezos elon musk it talks about how their day is broken up into these bite-sized you know like like five minute um, intervals where every moment is accounted for. And I think that's really critical to success. Like you said, with your friend, you know, it's, it's, we have what, 86, 400 seconds in a day. And, you know, you want to make everyone count. I do wonder how much of this is, um, is like regionally dependent, you know, cause obviously life in the, the East is very different than life in the West. Do you think <laughs> that, that those, um, you know, differences sort of frame, the conception of, of managing time? I definitely think there's a different approach uh, to time and uh, life in general, uh, yeah. living in the East, for sure. Um, one of the things I, I like to tell a lot of my clients is that you can only be as productive as you feel. And so one of the things you, you've got to look at is, well, how, how, how well is your body doing? I would have to say that in the West, a lot of our bodies are not uh, well-oiled machines that the way they should be, and we, you know, fill them, fill 
they, they're filled with way too much uh, junk food and you know things that shouldn't really be in there. Um, it's like pouring the, the cheapest oil into you know, the highest end supercar. It's not going <laughs> to do, do your engine good. And, and this is you know you've as Jim Rohn, uh, the man I consider my mentor, um, always says, is, you, know, you treat your body like a temple, not a woodshed. Um, but unfortunately, in the West, I think a lot of us treat our body, you know, we, like it's gonna, like it'll, it's invincible. And so here in the in the East, uh, you know, people really care about food. It's something I, I got into thanks to my wife. Um, and one of the rules they have here, for example, is, uh, you know, you don't finish the meal full. You finish the meal 80% full. That way you don't, you know, when you're full, you, you your body, all the blood goes to your stomach, right? Because it's it needs yeah. to go through all that food. And so it drains you. It makes you tired. It makes you sleepy. It makes you sluggish. And so that's um, something when I talk to clients, one of the things I want to know, not only what they do, as you said, those bite-sized things, I want to know what they're doing, you know, on a minuscule level. But I also want to know, you know, what are they putting into their body? Uh, because that's going to play a, play a big part as well. Yeah, and I, I love what you just said, that analogy of you're not going to pour cheap oil into a, a fancy sports car. I think that – and it's not even just nutrition. I mean we talk about nutrition a lot on Nervous Habits, um, Adrian, but you know, it's also like what we're consuming on an entertainment level in terms of mm-hmm. like what we're, what we're watching, what we're streaming. You, know, you look at Western um, movies and, and all, the, all the porn that we consume and you know, all <laughs> the violence. And, I mean, I, mean I, th- I think it all factors in, uh, but, but just you know, so listeners understand, uh, did you live? in america or or you know do you vi- visit did. america you did for, uh, for how yeah, long I, I lived there for about five years four okay got you, got you okay so, 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 yes yeah, so you so you obviously see the differences there and and the cultural difference and you alluded to to the lifestyle so based <laughs> on you know your reflecting time in america compared to japan what you know what differences do you see on on, the, on a day-to-day basis Wow, uh, so many different things. I mean, oh, it's yeah. hard, to, hard to nail them down to just a few. First of all, Japanese people, we have to use public transportation pretty much every day, and therefore they have to take the trains to work. Uh, but to get there, you've got to ride your bike. So people all all over Japan in the morning, people wake up, they jump on their bikes, they head to the station, uh, they go into the city center, then they walk to their office. I mean, people are walking or biking 20 to 30 minutes a day. Uh, I would say on average, you know, it's not uncommon to see, you know, businessmen riding the little, we call them mamacharians, which are like really kind of, I don't, they're not, they're not cool bikes. Let's put it that way. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> like the bike the, the woman takes to the supermarket because it's got a basket in the front and it's got, I don't know, it, it's actually really comfortable. It's hard to, you know, explain here, um, but just a quick search of like Japanese style bicycles and you'll find it on Google, but it's not cool. It's not hip for sure. Uh, but you see Japanese, you know, uh, businessmen all the time riding bikes all over the place. It's quite cute and uh, rather interesting. But you, you compare that to, you know, lifestyle in America where everybody's jumping in their car for an hour uh, back and forth each day. And they're walking, you know, from basically their car, do- car door to their office, which is, you know, a few hundred meters maybe at most. And then back to their car. And there's you know the amount of walking that's done it just it's just not comparable and so um you know uh, i often hear i often laugh when uh when i was in america because i would often hear about uh, diet gurus talking about how 
how bad white rice was for you because you know that you know you gain so much weight you know and i'm like have you been to asia <laughs> you lived oh my gosh i mean they eat rice all the time all over asia it's, yeah it's it's not it's not what you eat it's how much you eat and in america i, I often found that i would have to go down to only two meals a day because i just couldn't handle three they were just too much so i would have breakfast mm. in there um and um yeah, I, I realized over time here in Japan that uh, it, it's not the amount that's that's really important. It's the quality. I mean, the food here is is it's it's really good, but uh, you don't get a lot of it. Right. Um. And you know, stepping away from from the nutrition component for a, for a moment, there's also the the community differences because in America, you know, we have this this conception of individualism and and you know. Mm-hmm. And building yourself up, the American dream, so to speak, um, from you know uh, pulling yourself up by the by the bootstraps, and obviously th- that bleeds into free market capitalism. In Japan and in East Asian culture, there's more of a collectivist ideology. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, <laughs> very much so. Um, you know that's that's the joy of America and the joy of Asia too. Um, the concept here is harmony um, and uh, people working together, and that's that was seen during this pandemic. Is there was no official lockdown. The government just asked businesses to close. Uh, you didn't have to. You you could go ahead and and uh, keep on working, but pretty much everybody just followed the order. Um, yeah, it was quite remarkable. Right. I- and, and contrast that. I'm sure you see you see what's happening here in the states. You have, I mean, you see it. You have people on spring break in you know Miami and the Ozarks who are disobeying social uh, distancing directives, who are you know uh, essentially disregarding the well-being of their fellow citizens. I mean, I, I definitely agree with you. I think that Americans can learn a lot from the Japanese in terms of that community mindset. Yeah. Now you are you know regarded by by some as Asia's number one time management specialist. I mean, Asia's a, a vast continent, 48 countries, four and a half billion people. That is that that is that is quite quite a title. Um and I'm excited to talk to you about, you know, why why you're considered to be the number one time management specialist in Asia. Hit me with it. <laughs> uh so, you know, you the, I, I guess the first place to start is this idea of the one byte time management system TMS. So so what exactly does that mean and how did you come up with that? Um, well, when I got into time management, uh, kind of, I guess, almost full time, I guess you would say, I, I picked up pretty much every program I, I could that I could find it, that was available on the market. Every book, uh, every audio program, I went on podcasts and uh, just trying to get every, find every nook and cranny that I could um, on the topic. And I started with the, the most common ones, you know, like uh What's the, uh, getting things done and uh, the management of time and various other famous uh, books. Um, but I, at one time I picked up uh, this one program. I won't say who it was, but I, and I was really excited about it because I'd heard some great things about it. And when I basically started to go through it, um, I noticed early on that it was going to be a bit of a problem. Not so much for me because, I mean, I was there to study and I was a serious student. But I realized why my friends had given up on it, because when they started it, it it pretty much says, okay, this is a four-month course. It's going to take you X amount of time, and you're going to devote this amount of time to it. And I thought, well, gee whiz, I mean, that's not really what you want to start with when you're doing a time management program, because the people who are coming to you, they don't have the time. Mm. That's the problem. So if you tell them it's going to take them – take X amount of time and it's and it's you know three months down the line 
people are like, well, I don't have that that amount of time to put into it, so they just they, just, they walked away. Um, and I, I started to notice that that was a trend uh, with a lot of the programs as I got deeper into it, is that they were trying to pack more stuff in and it would take longer to get through. And I thought, you know, I'm not sure that's really the way you want to be approaching uh, time management because people just want to get something uh, quick and easy and to hit the hit the ground running. You know, when it comes to anything in life, is you've, you've got to feel that you're making progress. And the best way you can do that is by building momentum. And once it, you get things going, it's easy to add on other things. And you can do the the heavy lifting later on or down the line. But up front, you just want something that you can learn today, apply tomorrow and get, you know, immediate results. Save yourself 10 minutes or 20 minutes and go, hey, hey, wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, I think a lot of people need that. They need something in their life that's just just quick and easy and works. Um, Personally, I've gone through a lot of programs, not just time management. And sometimes the the best stuff is just buried deep within the programs, and I know most people will never get to them. And that's a, that's a sad thing because they're going to miss out on some of the best material. So what I did is I just tried I tried to strip down time management to its its core, and I went through basically things that would be the most effective, and not trying to do everything, but just trying get things that people can implement quickly and get results almost immediately. So it's interesting, you know, we talked about nutrition a moment ago and about how the excuse me, the Japanese diet was all about not, you know, not being full and and I almost see an unintentional like analogy here between, you know, the one bite time management system and you know, uh, the converse of that, which is maybe like bite, you know, biting off more than you could mm-hmm. chew, maybe like 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 over, you know, being over ambitious with with time management also. You know, my, my concept was you just, you, you know, the concept is how do you eat an elephant, right? You know, mm-hmm. one bite at a time. Can't eat, you can't take too much at one go. You just want a little, a little bite, a little bite, a little bite, and you get it done, you know? Right. And that, that's my whole concept behind the, the program. I don't know about you. I mean, when I, when I wake up for the day or, or, or before I go to bed the previous night, I like to make a list of, mm-hmm. you know, what, what I plan to do for the, for the next day. But what I find is that Number one, the process of making the list takes a lot of time. Um, <laughs> and, and number I, that's ironic. And number two is, I, I I'm always over ambitious when I when I set the list. I always you know, I'm thinking as a past self. I'm thinking of my past self. You know, oh you know, future Ricky will be able to do this. I'm not really being reasonable or pragmatic about you know my capabilities tomorrow do you find you know that people have this this incongruous set of expectations for what they're they'll be able to do with with you know making a list like that i do think that people uh, do they, they calculate things incorrectly what i mean is they think that some things when people first get into time management they really struggle because their ability to calculate how long something's going to take them is just way out of whack. Uh, what I mean is, if they think it's going to take them an hour, it's really going to take them closer to three, <laughs> four hours. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't calculate that into the uh, the process. Uh, they and so they, what happens is they crunch their schedule together too much, and suddenly, because they've calculated, I'm going to be able to do this in an hour. I'm going to be able to do this in an hour, and et cetera, et cetera. But the problem is they don't have the ability to really do it now. It's going to take much longer than they expect. And therefore what happens is that bleeds into other things and it crushes other things. And I think 
things start getting crazy quickly. And so you've got to take a really realistic view of everything. I mean, I like to do a little um, you know, a time management. Uh, sorry, it's late here. It's 1 a.m. I apologize. <laughs> I'm not good. as sharp as I used to be. You know, I, I like to go in and just diagnose the problem. I, I just want to know what what the patient is dealing, what what problems the patient's having, and so I need to know, you know, what they're doing and what they're capable of at the same time, and then we can start analyzing what is it, what's a realistic expectation for them. Um, so you know, you, you you nailed it. You know, people just don't really have a grasp of, of how long certain things take. And they, they tend to, in my experience, people in the West tend to, they believe that they can do more than they can. And mm. in the East, I think they have the opposite. Uh, they don't believe that they can do it. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> culturally quite different. So that's interesting. But I, I would say that the latter approach is probably better in the long run because, you know, no, because you end up accomplishing 100% of what you set out to and maybe mm-hmm. even having some time left over as opposed to, you know, stretching yourself too thin and, and mm-hmm. making a list of 200 things you're going to do during the day and falling asleep when you're, you know, uh, you know, when you're on the fourth thing on your list. And I think some of this also, uh, folds in the problem of procrastination. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if this is something you see with many of your clients, but just as, as human beings, we have a tendency to put off um, challenges and tasks <laughs> that you know, seem insurmountable. So is that, is that something that you encounter a lot in your work? Oh, all the time. <laughs> People, I mean, and I say this as wherever you are in the world, it's not, it's not really a cultural thing, East versus West in this case, in this, in this situation. Uh, just people are people. And so they also have this thing where they don't want to feel guilty in the same way. You see, what I mean by that is, let's say I am supposed to write a report, but I don't want to do it. So I start doing something else. But later on, if I was going to check on them, I would say, well, how long did you spend doing that other activity? You know, you got sidetracked. Okay, I understand. But they'll say 30 minutes. But the truth is it's closer to an hour, even an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And when I ask them how long did they spend on the actual project, they'll give me – they'll say an hour when it was really like close to 20 minutes. <laughs> because a lot of the times we don't keep track of our time. We don't have a little timer next to us that, that keeps keeps us on schedule. Um, people just kind of do things and then just, you know, especially nowadays we work on our computer, a lot of things, we get easily sidetracked because we move over to, to our, uh, notifications or social media, or we just get sidetracked by checking something on the web and that leads to something right. else. It calls to mind. I worked, uh, I don't know if you, if you ever had to like report your billing to, to, for clients or anything, uh, you know, if you worked for like a big consulting firm, but it calls to mind. I've worked at, at a few different law firms and, uh, my friends who are listening from, uh, from, fir- from accounting firms, consulting firms, or law firms will, you know, be a little bit triggered by this. But in that life, uh, Adrian and, and to listeners, you know, you have to account for every minute of your time because you're actually sending like a bill, uh, mm-hmm. your company sending a bill to the client. So, you know, as, as a, I, you know, I was a paralegal once upon a time, I would actually have to every single day go through, you know, a 12, 14 hour workday and to the a minute, you know, account for, okay, a 10th of an hour was spent managing documents. 1.5 hours was spent doing research. You know, two thirds of an hour was spent uh, preparing the, you know, for this deposition. And through that process, 
Uh, just just to respond to everything you're saying about how people are are dishonest with themselves about how much time they're spending on stuff, you you get good at recalling and accurately representing how much time you're spending on on given activities. So that's that's I think one you know one benefit of you know working in that sort of environment is is when you're reflecting back on how you've allotted time, it's easier for you to actually, you know, represent it more honestly. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, most people don't have to do that, right? Yeah, and you also alluded to when you so- talked about, you know, why exactly we procrastinate, just just the number of distractions around us. And I think that that's, you know, something where maybe if people are listening, they, they could benefit from just unplugging, putting, I mean, we talk a lot on nervous habits about, uh, disconnecting and being a digital minimalist and putting your, you know, putting your screens away. And I think that if you have a looming task, if you have a business assignment for work, or if you have, excuse me, a paper for school or an exam to study for, you want to, you know, make it as difficult as possible for your, you know, for your attention to be snapped away at any moment by a notification on your phone or, or, you know, something that, that shows up on, on your MacBook. So I would think that, you know, removing that temptation is, is critical to, you know, making it difficult for you to procrastinate. Absolutely. What people don't realize is that it takes a remarkable amount of time to get back into the swing of things. So I think the statistics are, are crazy. So if you are distracted by something to get back into what you're doing it takes 12 minutes, so even if you're just bumped out of uh, by a notification or uh, you know doorbell to go back to what you were doing, it's going to take 12 minutes to get back to where you were just before that call. Um, mm. And if you think about how many interruptions you have in a day, now you're running into real problems because it's the problem is we're never in a state of flow. We're constantly in a state of distraction. Uh, we're being distracted by our coworkers, by social media, by whatever's going on around us, telephone calls. And because of that, we're never able to get into the zone. And Steve Jobs, uh, when he was creating the, um, the iPod, which of course launched Apple's meteoric uh, you know, rise to you know, the trillion dollar company it is today, um, he would spend four and a half hours a day on the iPod. And that was it. Not not the whole day. Not not. You'd think that hey, that's that's all he was focused on. No, that's all he did. He would spend it, and he would do it in three sessions. He would do it in 90 minute, like they, uh, Darren Hardy calls them jam sessions. But 90 minutes. Mm. That's the key. Uh, the reason for that is that's the limit of our ability as humans to focus on one single task for maximum results. Once it goes past the 90 minute mark, you're you're not getting the full benefit. You're just not getting the maximum uh, productivity from it. So you do 90 minutes and then you take a break. You do something else and you come back again and you do another 90 minutes. And if you can do three 90-minute sessions a day, you'll be probably more productive than most people are doing eight, 10, 12, 14-hour days. So I wasn't aware of the 90-minute um, mm. intervals there. I've, I've definitely heard that you should step away you know, every 20, 30 minutes just to like change your field of vision and, mm-hmm. and, you know, freshen up. Um, so is there, is there any truth to the idea that taking breaks regularly can be, you know, healthy and almost essential? Uh, I think you, you definitely need it. Um, you know, our, our, our body was not meant to be, you know, glued to the chair. Uh, and unfortunately that's our world today. We are we're glued to the chair and pretty much every glued to the chair in front of a screen, uh, for 80% of, uh, people in the West, I guess, or people in office 
uh, environment, I should say. Um, myself, I mean, I had sciatica two years ago and, you know, I'm sitting a lot. Um, and that was extremely painful <laughs> despite, mm. you know, stretching and uh, doing uh, martial arts. I, I still got it. Um, so it can happen to anybody. Yes, yeah, so that's important to you know stretch, uh, just just step up, you know, get, move around a little bit every 30 minutes, 20 minutes, um, but you know stay in the focus. You, you know whatever your task is, you can you don't have to be in front of the screen maybe to do something. You just grab a piece of paper and a pen, just walk around a little bit and think, and then come back to you know the screen where you were at, whatever. You give yourself like I call them like bubbles. You, know, you want to protect yourself. And I guess you know nowadays we have social distancing, so it's maybe easier yeah. than ever before, but yeah, you want to create like your zone, your 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 bubble of power or, or zone of power where you, nothing enters it on, for 90 minutes where you just keep, you know, all distractions, the world out there is out there and you just get what you get, what you, you know, get what you need to get done. It's interesting you talk about um, sitting, and and I think that that certainly is is the is you know the main thing that people are concerned about with you know being sedentary to work on projects like this. But mm-hmm. I also think something that gets lost is the impact on straining your eyesight. And this is something I've talking I've talked about before on the pod. But I don't know if if, if listeners have ever experienced the sensation of you know you're, you're you're up late at night, you've been staring at your computer for hours, and all of a sudden you know it just gets it gets very blurry, or you have you literally have difficult see uh, difficulty seeing. Maybe you're experiencing this now because <laughs> it's you know 1:30 <laughs> in the morning where you are. But um, I went to an optometrist once that said you know, there's this rule, 20, uh, 20 minutes, 20 feet, 20 seconds, where when you're working at your computer, every 20 minutes, you should stare 20 feet away for 20 seconds long. And when I worked at an office, I actually had a sign on my wall and it said, it was like on a little, you know, uh, post-it, it said 20 minutes, 20 feet, 20 seconds. People would walk into my office and be like, what, what the hell is this? And I would, you know, tell them that, you know, you, you should do that. And I've, I've tried to make it a habit where, um, I don't necessarily have, you know, uh, an alarm that goes off on my watch, but <laughs> I look at the clock. I say, wait, you know, it's been about 30 minutes, 20 minutes. I, you know, I should like stare away for a little bit to, to, you know, recalibrate my eyesight. That's a good one. I'd never heard of that before, but that's pretty clever. And it's only 20 little 20 seconds. You know, I think anybody can, you know, squeeze that in. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, I mean, a lot of screens now, they're 27 inch and there's a whole lot of light, you know, blaring into our eyeballs. So, yeah, it can't be good. (laughs) Oh, no, it's I mean, it's especially if you're not actually like blinking. I mean, I I don't have a a background in, you know, optometry or or the ophthalmology sciences. But um, my understanding is, is you have to you have to like have movement in your like you shouldn't you know, just strain your eyes staring at the same, like you need to move your eyes a little bit. So if you're not doing that, that could be problematic. Um, for people listening that have struggled with procrastination in the ways that we've been talking about that maybe, you know, I'm a law student, maybe they have, um, you know, they have a paper to write or take home exam to do, or they have to outline and they just, it's so burdensome. There's this shroud hanging over their head, Adrian, (laughs) and they, and they can't force themselves just to get started. What, what advice would you give them for pushing them over that first hump. Wow. I mean, that's a tough situation. I mean, if they if they really they don't want to do it and they can't get into it. Well, I always believe that uh, you've got to start small. Um, and I think little victories, uh, you know, win the battle. You don't want to try and win the win the war with one battle, but you can win like little battles every day and then that will uh, win the war. So what you want to do is get people to believe that they can achieve things. So start by doing simple things I know it sounds stupid, but uh, you know, brushing the teeth 
properly. I know this is a silly one, but uh, you know most people don't actually take the time to brush their teeth. You know, two minutes slow and and not nothing two minutes. fancy. Yeah, I've never minutes. I've never heard it. I've never heard of two minutes. I, I'm, yeah, I'm more of a thirty thirty second guy. Yeah, that's it. Most people do do 30, 30 seconds, and that's it. You see, two minutes, but and you've got to use a really basic toothbrush, nothing fancy, none of that cool like stuff that that people love. No, no, really basic toothbrush. Two minutes, just brushing. It's something simple and. It, and you've got to build up on those little little simple tasks that you can do um, because then they give you confidence that you can do things. I mean, it's the most basic thing possible, right? Brushing your teeth. But most people just, they think they can save time there. And I've learned that uh, if you're going to cut corners brushing your teeth, you're going to cut corners pretty much everywhere else. But whatever the task they're, they're dealing with, I mean, you set a report, uh, you got to break it down into parts. Um, that's That's the thing because... When something's too big and foreboding, uh, that's not really going to entice you to do it. So you, you, you break it down to the small parts, and then you go to work on the easiest one first. Now, Darren Hart, sorry, um, Brian Tracy, uh, best-selling author of Eat That Frog, would say that, you know, and that that's the theme of that book actually is you do the thing you dislike first. And I completely understand that because that's often the thing that looms over us and mm. – it takes energy away from us throughout the day um, because we, we've got that at the back of our mind that we need to write that report. We need to, you know, turn in that um, project or that presentation. And so, if we're not doing that, then it's still in the back of our mind, and we're not able to concentrate on the other tasks that we're doing. I completely get it. I would say go ahead if if you can uh, eat that frog. Yeah, go for it. But I'm also I'm a big believer in that. Uh, again, the concept of momentum, you've got to believe you can do it. And so you, you right. break it down into the smallest parts and you take the easiest ones first and you get that done. You say, whoa, that was easy because it was meant to be easy. Absolutely. <laughs> and then you just say, okay, I've done that next task. And soon, if you've broken it down enough, you've suddenly got you know five or six tasks done and you're starting to get some momentum and you can start feeling that it's actually getting smaller. This gigantic project or this presentation or report that you had to write suddenly doesn't seem as big and foreboding as it once was. Now it seems manageable and then mm -hmm. it becomes doable and then it becomes finished. So it's just one step at a time. You know, I, I like this story. If you if you let me just say one thing about yeah, you know, yeah, the concept sure. here, here in Japan is this concept of, of Kaizen, right, which is uh, translated as constant improvement. And it, this was applied by um, a British um, David uh, David Brailsford. Um, he took over the British cycling team in 2003. And previously, uh, this British cycling team had probably one of the worst records in professional cycling history. Uh, they hadn't won the Tour de France ever, and they'd only won um, uh, maybe one or two Olympic medals uh, in the history of the Olympics, about 100 years time. Uh, but he went to work on this uh, concept of 1%. And he just said, we can do things better by 1%. And he, they just broke down everything into the smallest parts. And it, I mean, he had cyclists changing their clothes that they were wearing. Um, he, he had them getting, they had doctors come in to teach them how to wash their hands to re reduce the chances of them catching a cold. He had people coming in to uh, analyze which 
beds they should sleep in and the pillows they should use. And they broke it down into, I, th- I don't know, I think it was a thousand or a thousand five hundred different components. And they just went to work on each one of them, improving it by one percent, bit by bit. And now that seems like nothing, one percent. Like you think, well, what's the big deal? But if you take all those one percents, you can have incredible results. And what he did is pretty much, you know, it, it's 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 remarkable because in the five years after he took over that program, they went from one of the you know laughing stocks in the cycling world where they couldn't even get um, some companies to provide bikes for them because they were so bad. And they ended up becoming like they took home, I think, 50 percent of the the gold medals in the 2008 Olympics. And they did even that was, I think, Rio. And then in 2012, they did even better. And then they went. They also took home, I think, five out of seven uh, Tour de France as well. So don't overlook small things. Small things can pay off big. And it works in cycling. It works in, you know, paralegal activities it works in the you know offices it works in it works for everyone it's it's the simple things that make the difference in life really yeah i mean that's so well said adrian thank you actually there's a lot to unpack there um Starting with the most recent thing you said, first, the, the Kaizen, the 1% rule. Yeah, I mean, we, we discussed that um, a, a little while ago about how one, you know, if you, if you improve 1% in something a day, you end up being something like 37 times better in a year. I read that um, somewhere. I think James Clear said it. Uh, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, no, the notion is what you're saying is you take these, these small steps and, uh, you know, as, as the Kaizen conception goes, you end up on the whole – um, doing a lot better. You also mentioned the idea of starting with the easiest task first to build momentum. I couldn't agree more. I think when you look at the the flow state, you're not just gonna you know sit down at your computer. Um, you know, let's say you're writing a book and and start with the most intense technical aspects of you know of, of the task first. You have to build up to it. Get into the you know into the writing mindset. Start out doing the introduction, maybe you know the the head you know the the headers, um, the topic sentences, and then once you can feel the creative juices flowing, then you can do the more difficult stuff. It's almost like you know if you're running a race, you're uh, you're, you're running down to the track. You want to make sure you jog first or you have a light sprint you don't just start out and immediately sprint <laughs> and the, the last thing i'll say uh briefly your point of brushing your teeth was particularly well said because you know some of the most successful people say that when you wake up in the morning you make your bed you have that small victory it's almost like making a checklist and you know the first thing you write down in the checklist is something you've already done so you can exit out so i think that that was you know that that holds true as well small things i mean don't overlook them it's just small things put together you know, can, can transform your life. For sure. For, uh, for sure. I, I definitely agree with that. And, uh, I, you know, I, I want to switch gears for a moment, uh, mm-hmm. and talk about an article that you wrote for ink.com a couple years ago, uh, that it spoke to me. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, would, would appreciate, uh, hearing what you have to say on this. It was titled the most successful people use these five practices to be more healthy and productive. Mm-hmm. Can you share mm-hmm. with listeners what those five things were? Sure. Uh, that's going back a little bit, but yeah, I remember that. Um, well, the first thing, I mean, you, you got to get organized. Uh, I mean, so many of us today have just way too much stuff in front of us, you know, our, whether it's on our computer screen or on our desk. It's just it, it's just crazy. And we end up wasting time trying to find things. And 
the best thing you can do really is just to take an afternoon or a day or whatever it takes just to get things organized. And I like what David Allen teaches in his book is that you've just got to, you know, be in order to be uber productive, you just got to have minimal distractions. So keep things really simple. Don't overcomplicate things, but just, you know, have what you need. Everything else, just get it away from, you know, your desk or your workplace because, you know, that that's that's your command center. Uh, so that's that's step one. Um, and that, it also works in, in, in your house as well. I mean, you just got to get things as organized as possible to save you time uh, when when you're looking for whatever you need. Number two, quite simply, they drink water. I mean, we've got to have water. I mean, our body, you know, needs it. Um, most of my life when I was a child, uh, you know, I, I can't say I followed this advice and uh, I paid the price. You know, I often caught, had colds. I didn't feel well. And I didn't realize it was because of the, 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 the crap I was drinking, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, you've got to drink more water. I mean, dehydration will, you know, sap your productive cells and you'll just you won't be able to to get things done and uh, you know your brain won't be as active as it should be um so yeah uh you know forget the soft drinks uh yeah pick up a glass of water your body will say thank you I think all, all the listeners, I think, just took a, a nice long sip. I know I, I literally picked up my glass reflexively <laughs> as you said that, just and just just sort of chug chug the water. Yeah, yep, 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 yeah. chug chug chug. Um, next, of course, uh, unfortunately, we live in the world, the digital world, and uh, you know your inbox is not uh, where you want to live. I mean, it, it's uh, a blessing and a curse. Um, email. Uh, we're able to reach out and contact everyone in the world, but unfortunately, they can also reach out to us. And therefore, you know, it's not uncommon for people to have you know, 200 emails uh, and spend hours uh, every day to go through it. Um, but you've got to remember that every, your, the inbox, as uh, Brendan Burchard likes to call it, is, is, is just other people's agendas. That's what people want from you. When you open your inbox, that's what they want from you. They're contacting you, and that's taking away from what you want to do. Uh, so there's a uh, few things you can do, but basically you've got to uh, sift and sort. Um, you don't want to be going through all your emails in one at uh, you know right off the bat because you'll easily get sucked into it. Um, my advice is to stick away, stay away from the emails first thing. You know, work on what you need to do, then open your in inbox, and then you just break it down and do the 4D system. You know, do it, delegate it, delay it, or delete it. And uh, you know, I'm a big fan of the last one. You know, get rid of as many as you can. Um, but uh, if it's really important, don't forget, uh, people will <laughs> write back to you anyway. So um, you know, don't feel that uh, you have to rush on and deal with everything right away. Uh, if it has to be done, it has to be done. But you've got to understand what what needs to be done and what doesn't really need to be done and what should be done. What should be done can, you know, put that back, but what needs mm. to be done, you gotta deal with that right, right off the bat. Um, you've got to uh, set aside time in your schedule uh, to do various things. I mean, you've gotta set aside time to check your email. You don't wanna be doing that whenever you get an alert. Uh, you don't wanna be doing that, you know, all over the place. You just wanna have a dedicated time for it, but you also wanna have set up time for various activities such as reading, exercise, um, these these sort of things, and you've got to, we've all got to understand our own body clock. Um, 
mine's a little bit out of whack right now because um, of the uh, situation we're in. Uh, some of us are really effective at nine o'clock in the morning. Some of us are more effective, you know, just before lunch. Other people are effective in the afternoon. Whatever time mm. you're most effective, you need to be using that with your most important task. And that's something we've all got to know. You know, we've got a little. I've got to understand about ourselves. Um, you got to you got to find the time to do the work, and it's not just the work that you have to do, but work you need to do for the future, which you don't even know you have yet. What I mean is, uh, you you've got to prepare for the future by reading, by studying, by you know journals and articles, and and listen to podcasts like this. Um, you know, prepare yourself for the future by um, dedicating a certain amount of time to your own you know, education. And lastly, and uh, one thing I love to do is I delegate, I delegate, I delegate everything I can. And everybody I know who's really successful, they delegate everything they can too. Uh, the simple rule is if someone can do it at 80% of what you can do, have them do it and let them do it. Don't micromanage, step away and just trust people because oftentimes uh, if you, I've, I've tested this out, but if you go, do, you ask 10 people to do things for you about 80 percent uh, of them, eight, eight people, will actually surprise you. You know, they'll do better than you you really thought they would, or at least equal to what you thought you they would do. Maybe two people will let you down, but I think most people will actually um, surpass what you expected of them. And sometimes you'll find out you've you they'll do even be better than what you could have done. Well, that's wonderful. I appreciate you going through those. And just in case, you know, uh, just in case, you know, you didn't catch all that, stay organized physically. Your physical space was number one. Um, hot, make sure to hydrate was number two. Avoid the email onslaught. Number three, you said do it, delegate it, delay it, or delete it. I had never heard of that, the four Ds. That, that's really interesting. And then uh, schedule time was four. And number five was delegate and don't micromanage. So it's eight. That's Adrian Shepard's. The most successful people use those five practices. Was there anything that you felt that you like left off? Were there any like like honor, honorable mention things that you know uh, that successful people do? <laughs> I got one. I mean, it, it's it's to be honest, it's the one that Warren Buffett uses, and they say no. They say, say no, no to 99% of the things that come their way. There's so many things, so many opportunities. Uh, it's easy to get distracted and, and you know, get off uh, task. Um, I started saying no to nearly everybody. Um, I, I said yes to the people I really wanted to. The thing is, we often say yes too easily. There's no, there's no battle. Uh, when people come over, hey, you want to come over? Yes, that's easy. Saying no is, like, mm. hey, why not? Why, mm-hmm. What's what's going on? What's the issue? You know, so you have to explain yourself. But yes, it's just like, okay, great. Um, but I learned very early on in my career, actually, that a lot of people will you know, really drop you in it. Um, they, they basically don't, they don't want to do a task. And they'll say, hey, can you help me out with something? And you say, mm. oh, sure. <laughs> and of course, now you're screwed. You know? so, and I realized, wow, these people, they, I mean, they would often give me the worst tasks. And they would often lie to me about how difficult it was going to be. Now, I don't know if they were doing it on purpose or they just didn't realize how long it was going to take. But I think it's the actual, I think they just knew how long it was going to take and they didn't want to do it. And so they would just get commitment from somebody else by making it seem much easier than it was. Hey, can you help me with this thing? Oh, sure. Okay, now I'm told, now I've got to this. I've, it's like they're thinking I'm mine, sucker. Um, but <laughs> but um, yeah, I learned early on just say no. And um, yeah, uh, I think later on I heard that Warren Buffett says no to you know I, don't, I think 99 or 999 
uh, opportunities that come his way. And he says one to the, you know, one out of a thousand or something, one out of a hundred, I forget which, which one it is, but it, there's so many opportunities and um, you've got to be available to accept them. If you say yes to too many things, you, you, you know, your schedule will fill up and you, you can't take take advantage of these opportunities that come your way. So just say no more often. Mm, I love that. I love that. If you've ever seen the movie uh, Yes Man with Jim Carrey, mm. they're going to make a uh, remake starring Adrian Shepard, No Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's it's really interesting because I think I think you're right in that when when you say no, we have this tendency on both sides, both the person saying no and the person to whom no is being said to, to need a justification. Like, why, you know, are you busy? Are you sick? Why can't you? But I think that you're right. Successful people don't need to provide that justification. It's like, no, I, I, I can't, I, you know, I don't want to. Um, so I think that that's particularly that, that example is, is particularly accurate. And I, I think, you're, you know, uh, you're right in terms of when we talk about scheduling time, I think that that doesn't just mean scheduling time for work or for leisure. Um, that means like scheduling time for nothing. I found that <laughs> a lot of successful people, they schedule 30 minutes, they schedule an hour. I know Elon Musk has like family time um, mm -hmm. every evening and, and they give themselves the autonomy, the agency to, to, to do things because – Let's face it, you know, if every moment of your life is pre-planned schedule, you lose a lot of free will. Now, the last thing I want to chat with you about, uh, one of your other fields of specialty uh, is is habits. And I'd be remiss, you know, being that the show is called Nervous Habits, if we didn't take a couple minutes to talk about that. Uh, I actually did an episode back on habit formation based on the book The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Sure. Yeah, I remember that. And we – we talked about, you know, the three, the the cue, the three components of, of habits: the cue, the routine, and the reward. So, you know, Duhigg seemed to believe that if you have a bad habit, the the idea was, you know, you sub out a different routine for when you get mm -hmm. that cue to, you know, to to receive the same reward. Is that your perspective on changing bad habits, or you know, do you have a, a different a different method for it unfortunately habits are something that are deeply ingrained <laughs> sometimes that have taken years uh, to develop so um it, it's tough uh to break them there's it's a chain and what you need to do is you need to slowly uh break that chain um and again i think you start with the the easiest uh things first uh that are are not so hard to change um and i, I like I think the concept of like not going cold turkey, because I think that's really tough. Uh, people just kind of freak out uh, when that happens. So you've just got to, you know, it's hard to say which habits. I would start with something small and then build up. Uh, but unfortunately, um, you've really got to basically take out a bad habit and put in a good habit. Uh, unfortunately, it's, it's easier said than done for most people. I, I think what you've got to do is, again, show them it's possible. Uh, by starting with something small and then go from there. Once you once you get again the concept of momentum, uh, I think everything's easy. But yeah, th there's not really much uh, when it comes to um, habit formation. It's just you, you've got to understand that although some people believe that it's 21 days to create a new habit, unfortunately, it found that it's not really that. It's more. It's close to about 60 days to create mm -hmm. a habit. Um, you can easily fall back in if you're not careful and 21 days is really not strong enough. I, I recommend a month and I, I just kind of create call it like a habit challenge, like a, a month. Can you do it for a month? And then 
if they've done it for a month, they can do it for two months. And you see this with meditation. I mean, everyone, everyone says, oh, I wish I had time to meditate. But then what they do is they'll, you know, they'll, they'll put in their schedule 60 minutes of meditation time. No <laughs> one's, you know, no one's going to want to sit, sit in the dark for 60 minutes and listen to, you know, listen, listen to, to the sounds of the wilderness. Like Adrian is saying, you know, instead of 60 minutes, start with 60 seconds, you know, give yourself a minute of, this is something I like to do. This might sound a little strange to people listening, but I like to just literally sit, you know, in, in my bed, in my bedroom with the lights off and just think and close my eyes. And that's a lot less burdensome and a lot less of an arduous task than having to allot 30 minutes to meditate when I don't have a background in meditation. Absolutely. When you're trying to do something you're not familiar with, you know, don't, don't overdo it because you'll just get frustrated and you go by right back into what is, you'll, you'll just, you'll give up. You'll say, I can't do it. It's not 30. I can't do 30 minute meditation. And then they'll just walk away from it forever. <laughs> they've, they've only tried it two, for two days. That's it. And, and you also discover, how do I say this? You end up wanting to do it as opposed to having to do it. It's, mm-hmm. I, I, I see this a lot with fitness. You know, if people, if people don't like to work out, but that's because they're forcing themselves to go to the gym for two hours, they begin to hate working out. Mm-hmm. Instead, if they have the mentality of, oh, I'm just going to, you know, uh, do a five-minute Pilates, then all of a sudden it's like, wow, I can't wait to do Pilates. So you end up, instead of forcing yourself to do it, doing it willingly because you like it. Yeah, and the key word, you said the magic word, is, is the concept of hate. You, you can't have that concept come up. In, in habit building, if the concept hate I hate this, then that 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 you've gone too far. Mm. Uh, you've got to have the habit of okay, I can do it. That that's what you want. I can do that. I can do that. That's what you want to hear people say. Can you do pirates for five minutes or planking for five for you know thirty seconds? I can do that. I mean every thirty. I can do that. Thirty seconds. I can do that. You know that's what you want to hear out of their mouth. I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And after a while, you know, thirty seconds becomes a minute. And then you see the key is to creating this small habit and then slowly stretching it out. Then you you can, you know, make some real progress. But, you know, it goes from 30 seconds to a minute to a minute 30 to two minutes, two minutes, 30. And and suddenly you're doing, you know, four minutes planking and you're like, damn, (laughs) now that's that's impressive. Right. But how did you get there? Slow little steps. Oh, absolutely. And and something that I mentioned, uh, James Clear, a few minutes ago, but in his book, Atomic Habits, that's, you know, exactly what he talks about in overcoming the lack of motivation. Because if you're not if you're not motivated to, as you say, to plank or to meditate, that motivation is not just going to, you know, um, hmm. ma- magically appear. You need to will it out. And you do that by showing yourself that you can do it. If you're a cigarette smoker, um, you know, like you said before, you need to start small and, and have these little victories. You can't just all of a sudden quit cold turkey and expect to smoke, stop smoking cigarettes. Instead, maybe you know, maybe you're a cigarette smoker, but you also have an ice cream, a habit of eating ice cream late at night. Why don't you, you know, switch from ice cream to some crackers or some healthy popcorn, and then you'll say, "Wow, I was able to break that habit and translate that momentum as you talk about into breaking the cigarette habit." Just, just an analogy there. Yeah, exactly, and it applies to everything really. But you stay away from things that you hate. <laughs> That you yeah. can't have the word hate come up. You do things small, and you you know you believe in you know baby steps. I, I, there's this movie called What About Bob but with Bill Murray. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Old old no. movie. Uh, but basically, the psychiatrist he he's dealing with Bill Murray, who's just kind of a little bit of a a little bit of a psychiatric psychiatric case, and um, basically he comes up with this concept of baby steps and the concept you know you just do just a little bit every day, a little bit every day. 
And I've always loved that baby steps. Uh, yeah, you, you want everybody when they have a habit that that's really ingrained, it's not going to work. As you said, cold turkey, uh-uh. You just got to, you know, start small, really small, and just chip away at it. It, it The chipping works. Yeah, I mean, you know, Michelangelo, uh, was it who, who created David? Was it Michelangelo? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he chipped away just a little bit, a little bit. It was it was from a solid piece of, of granite, you know. He just, you know, chipped it away little bit by little bit, and there it is, you know. So definitely very, very well said, Adrian. And, and, you know, this has been a wonderful conversation. I've learned a lot. Um, and I'm sure listeners are wondering where they can go to connect with you and to learn more about your work on productivity and time management. Well, um, I mean, I'm on social media, so you can find me on Twitter, although I don't post there very often. (laughs) Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, Adrian underscore in underscore Japan, but that's really just, you know, I don't, share that much on productivity i'm more about just life here in japan uh but then uh if you follow me on uh, linkedin uh, that's where i share a lot of my free reports or notes and things like that um that's uh i succeed book and then if you check facebook i'm adrian shepherd japan uh, why are they all three why are they all different uh just because well i'm crazy and i shouldn't change them but but there you go absolutely asia's number one time management specialist you're setting quite the example you know uh the trooper here uh, going through this this uh, conversation with me till 2 a.m in the morning i really appreciate it adrian <laughs> Thank you, Ricky. It's been a pleasure. Me as well. Take care. So that was my conversation with Adrian Shepard. As as I said before the pod, he was a delight to speak with, and I learned a lot. I mean, I, for one, wasn't familiar with this 90-minute bubble, the idea that you should, you know, work for 90 minutes, take frequent breaks, um, and... He even said with Steve Jobs that Steve Jobs, you know, put in four and a half hours a day in three 90-minute, you know, periods and ended up being, you know, more efficient in that time than folks who spend 12, 14 hours of their jobs. So, and it goes back to the, uh, what is that, the the Parkinson rule or the the Pareto principle that um, 80% of the work that you need to do gets done in 20% of the time. So if you have, you know, a 10-hour workday, for example, you spend two hours working and the other eight hours, two hours doing almost all of your work and the other eight hours, you're just screwing around. So... Just be more mindful, self-monitor, you know, uh, keep a timer, um, you know, and, and definitely, as as he said, I'm not a proponent of eat that frog. I'm with him. Do the easiest things first. You know, if I'm writing a, uh, a paper or like for, for law school, we have to do journal applications. Um, we have to apply to be on a journal, which is like a newspaper for, for law students. Rather than do the case comment first, which is like the the scholarly article part of it, which is by far the most arduous, I decided, okay, I'm going to do my resume first. I'm going to do my personal statement first. Things that are easier, things that come naturally to build up the momentum, to build up the confidence to tackle something difficult. Because, you know, let's face it, if you do eat that frog, if you do plunge right into the case comment or plunge right into the most difficult part of your paper or your exam, you might get frustrated and it might stagger your progress afterwards. So I think that that was a helpful takeaway. I, I don't know if we, if we even mentioned this, like set expectations. You can't, you know, go to the gym and immediately expect to be able to lift, you know, 225 pounds on the bench. You got to start, you know, start with the bar, then go up to, you know, 95 pounds and then go up to 135 pounds. Um, you know, you work up to it. And the, the last thing that I found really interesting that Adrian mentioned was this whole concept of saying no, because he's right. And I hadn't thought about that before. Saying yes is easy. Yeah, you know, I'll help you out. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I'll hang out with you. Saying no 
you know, it's like the, the inquisition. Why are you sick? Are you busy? You know, then you have to provide a reason. And then it's like, oh, is that reason valid? Is he making it up? You know, why can't he see me after? But at the end of the day, you really gain control of your schedule and manage your time most efficiently when you can say no to things because, you know, the inbox and the requests and that's other people's agenda. But you need to put your agenda first if you want to be successful. So I really enjoyed the conversation with Adrian. Definitely urge you to get in contact with him and check out his his LinkedIn um, for, you know, his his articles and um, his his notes, upcoming notes on productivity. So next week we have a twofer. I'm going to start out with a little philosophy, talking to you guys about the shopping cart theory that's been circulating the internet and how someone's decision on whether to return a shopping cart at the supermarket can suggest if they are a good person or not. And then I'll be speaking to certified health and life coach Denise Stiegel, and we'll be diving into organic and real food. We'll be talking about whether or not ethically, environmentally, and biologically it's actually necessary for us to eat organic products as opposed to those that are industrially produced. So sort of a a different episode next week that's going to be coming up on Nervous Habits. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Nervous Habits Podcast. You can follow the pod on Instagram at Nervous Habits Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Nervous Habits underscore. Search for clips and full episodes on YouTube at Nervous Habits Podcast. And write to the pod at Nervous Habits Podcast at gmail.com. Nervous Habits Podcast at gmail.com. And remember, if you're not sure where to start, tackle the easiest thing first and try those 90-minute bubble periods. Take care and stay nervous and stop procrastinating.